welcome, travelers of the multiverse, as Fantastic Geek chronicles What If on Disney+. Plus. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the Angry Coney Island variant of Pete. Hello, Angry Coney Island Pete. I'm fine. I just need a drink. And guns. And an arm. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek featuring What If for episodes... 201, what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? And 202, what if Peter Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes? Is brought to you by potato chips. They are the vegetable, and you're supposed to like them. I guess I never stopped to think of them as vegetables, but indeed they are Pete. And as we prepare to dive into this new season of what if do you want to mention that last week on the pop culture podcast feed we took a view to the future to the april 2024 release of the final season of star trek discovery and it was a great conversation and great to get back into that star trek headspace super excited to return to what brought star trek back to the small screen and kicked off this new era uh, immediately went back and started watching some uh, some season three. Have all my DVDs there, so when uh, Paramount Plus is uh, sold off to uh, Apple or Amazon, or they just yank all the shows like they did to Star Trek Prodigy, at least I have them. Uh, and for those not in the loop, Pete, you are probably more accurate than not. Twenty twenty four is probably the last full year that paramount plus exists uh depending on who does the merger who does the acquisition and so forth but uh buzzards high up in the sky but high up in the sky nonetheless for paramount plus so pete we've talked star trek we're going to be talking marvel shortly can you complete the trifecta and give us some star wars news yes not star wars uh hit netflix uh, later Thursday night, this, of course, uh, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. Um, and I got to say, Matt, these first 54 minutes and 20 seconds that I'm into this movie as of Saturday have been the longest five hours of my life. Um, I think that Zack Snyder is a great director of photography, which he is on this movie, along with being director, producer, writer. I should um, say this as you are moving in slow motion in the studio right now. You just started moving in slow motion. Well, for most people, me moving in slow motion, for most people, the slow motion thing would be used to punctuate a, uh, you know, a moment of drama. Perhaps, Pete, I'm just doing it because I look beautiful in slow motion. Um, it is interesting to watch Rebel Moon and say, there's Princess Leia, there's Luke, there's Han. There's, I think, maybe Darth Vader or what would have been a new, uh, you know, number two to the Emperor. There's a retired Sith. There's a this. There's a that. Um, uh, Pete, I finished the movie today. It took me several. I had to break it up into chunks. I had to do the mini mini series, but uh, it was it was a trip. And um, yeah, Pete, Pete, I look forward to talking more at some point about it i know i'll say one other thing i'm looking forward to the r-rated version because i was aware in some of the very cool action scenes like wait you kind of just blew a guy's head head off i'd like to see a nice slow-mo like of like blood or something but 
alas, that's not this cut. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that a guy that uses uh, rape as a plot point needs a more graphic cut of this film. But yeah, whatever. So as not Star Wars comes out, Matt, real Star Wars does not have any firm dates for 2024. And it is all but official at this point that Andor season two will not uh, stream until 2025. No wine before it's time. Uh, but all this on the date that we were supposed to get a Star Wars. I must admit, Pete, I had forgotten that this should have been Rogue Squadron weekend. Um, look, What if? <laughs> what if, indeed? I mean, if nothing else, look, we've had ups and downs with Star Trek. We've had ups and all, all, all stuff, especially in the post-blank check streaming media landscape that we've been in the last, you know, 6, 10, 12 months or whatever. Um there's been a ton of stuff that's come out in every property, but Star Wars is the one that perhaps has shown the most restraint in terms of a trying to be tonally diverse, you know, but still not saying. And here's the Star Wars, you know, bar comedy that's that that fits outside of what you think Star Wars is. So, at the fact that I guess Rogue Squadron is never going to see the light of day, um, I guess them's the breaks. I was really looking forward to that one, too. But back to Marvel, Matt. Yes, what if? But finally, some clarity this week and no longer. Yeah, with the conclusion of the Jonathan Majors case and with him having been found guilty on two of the four counts, took about 45 minutes until the headlines uh, you know, out of Hollywood were that he was officially out playing Kang, um, fired by Marvel, fired by Disney, and so forth. Um, I think a Were fitting... you surprised by the speed of that? Um, I think from a from a sterile PR perspective, I thought that they would have waited until some end of the week. You know, I traditionally in the world of PR and media and politics, even Friday is take out the trash day and you drop stuff after 12 on a Friday and people kind of don't for it, it, it doesn't stick very long. I thought they were going to do that. I do think that if the game plan was, if, if the corporate perspective was, if this guy is guilty, no brainer, we're dropping him. Um, then I think in retrospect, we can see that their thinking was let's do that ASAP because the news the news of this trial was never good what was the truth you know we had been saying for a while maybe the wind is this way maybe the wind is that way regardless it's not a good situation i mean my goodness when some of that video came out i'm not saying that the that the the, the ex-girlfriend was uh you know perhaps the nicest person ever but my goodness jonathan majors deserved to be fired based on how he treated how he treated her on camera um alone let alone the stuff that we didn't see behind the scenes or that were rumored or whatever whatever so i think in retrospect pete they had a plan and the plan was found guilty we're going to be part of that same news cycle and we're going to move on the next day and it's not going to be a story what will disney do we're not going to wait four days for it to be a friday let's just 
show him the door. Adios next. So it remains to be seen if Kang altogether will be cut and it's become a parlor game now of who replaces him and people are tagging John Boyega and he's releasing gifs of uh, the donkey from Shrek shaking his head and saying no. Uh, I would like if they're going to keep the character Matt, I officially want to throw out the name of a character who could work there with what we're doing now i'd like to see jeffrey wright get an opportunity look i think jeffrey wright would be a great choice a bunch of wonderful actors uh are being mentioned whether they are uh african-american or whether people are reimagining a you know brand new chapter for the character i do think possibly that from the creative perspective to say Quantumania was basically a dud and Loki had its moment, but I don't think, you know, Loki was not the Mandalorian season one, who is this cute little, and now can we do the plushies and what's this and what's that? So I think that you add, those two things do not necessarily undo a Kang. You add to it the bad press that Jonathan Major's own actions brought to himself and to his uh, guilty verdict and sentencing, I believe is in March. Um, I think creatively there might be an argument to say, and he's, you know, Kang is not the big bad anymore. And then we don't need to go down the road of Jonathan majors. this, Jonathan majors that flip side is, you know, people have short memories in certain degrees. If you tell me they're going to announce the brand new Kang, whatever at comic-con this summer at san diego comic-con this summer and they the movie doesn't come out for another two and a half years i don't think anybody's going to sit there on opening night of the next avengers movie and say oh this reminds me of the terrible way in which jonathan majors treat <laughs> treated at least one person if not more you know there will be the time there so time will tell with that taken care of matt uh, between our preview and now the corrected what if season two episode list the happy hogan saved christmas episode will uh be placed on christmas eve as as it is meant to be uh so that'll hit tomorrow we will podcast on uh the day after christmas those next three episodes beginning with that one Indeed, episodes 203, 204, and 205 next on the podcast. And Pete, before we dive into these episodes, one more message out of you. Yes, though, Christmas, I want to give thanks. And uh, in particular, the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek who have uh, responded to uh, my plea for uh, nominations for uh, the 2024 gray list. That's a, a list of up and coming uh, screenwriters over 40 who have uh, not yet gotten a, a gig. Uh, and a way to circulate their names among uh, Hollywood insiders. Uh, so just a quick shout out to Kevin Coyle, to James Killen, to Fulcrum77, to Jackie Wolf, to Stephen Thurbage, who have all uh, done that for me on uh, through patreon.com slash fantastic geek, where that post is uh, visible to all. 
there's the Google form that you can go on to. Uh, we have put the information you need to plug in. It would take a uh, very, very uh, small amount of time for you to do that, but I am grateful to everybody here who's helped. There's still time uh, to do that. If you have not, you can go to, um, uh, I'm sorry, the date that it ends is uh, the end of 2023. So uh, the uh, New Year's Eve deadline there. And uh, for my script reconstruction, you know, my version of, of Star Trek, effectively a what if, Matt, what if this happened to our country? Uh, all the information there. And uh, again, I really thank you just for listening to me prattle on about it. In episode 201, What If Nebula Joined the Nova Corps, we're on Xandar. Yondu is dead, but who killed him? Asks Nebula of the Nova Corps. She's a former Black Order, but has earned her spot. The Watcher notes that here, Ronan the Accuser betrayed Thanos, taking Gamora. Nebula drifted until being rescued by Nova Prime. When Ronan attacked Xandar, the planet was put behind a shield, isolating the world. But back to the investigation, old Yondu footage being replayed offers up his arrow. Nebula scans it, taking her to a dead end, but Nova Prime calls, saying Xandar is on the brink. Nebula is empowered to solve this case any means necessary. Next stop, the club, Sans Warrant, some Ertzots, Guardians of the Galaxy there, in another life perhaps. But upstairs is the boss, the Howard the Duck. He's shown the schematics stored on the arrow, but it's Korg who IDs a citywide data core, including source code for the shield generator. Next stop, the mainframe investigation via a prison at a rough one. Nebula is there to see Yon-Rog. She springs him and they're headed to the top of the data core building. Yon-Rog starts to overheat the core and water comes in. The pair swim further into the core. The water recedes, and there's no way to the core for Yonrog, but Nebula is compatible. She deletes the source file, but Yonrog hacks Nebula. He's the baddie. She's also locked into the core, and he's made a run. She gets out and is found by Nova Prime and Yonrog working together. The blonde leader has sold out the people. Nebula is left to be beaten and killed by Nova Core members, but makes an escape down Waterfall. She is presumed dead, but is not. She makes her way back to the club of Howard the Duck. She's fixed and Howard is ready to help. Nebula dons Yondu's fin and it's time to attack with Howard, Korg, Groot, and Meek. Quickly they're in HQ, but the shield is opening. Ronan's ship enters, but then the shield closes on his ship, destroying him. Nebula planned a triple cross all along. A climactic battle occurs with Nebula and Nova Prime battling on a spacecraft across the city. On a sky bridge, Nova Prime is given a chance at redemption, but she falls to her death anyway. Later, under peaceful circumstances, the shield is opened and Xandar rejoins the galaxy. Nebula has saved them all and she walks, redeemed and redeemer. In episode 202, what if Peter Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes, Peggy Carter's quarterbacking an Air Force mission as a space object falls and lands in New York City, 1988, stopping at Grand Central Terminal. It's Peter Quill, a kid filled with pain and loss. Six months earlier, Peter Quill was taken from Earth, though in this universe, Yondu gave Peter to Ego. Peter was taught about the expansion, and Peter was given so much power. Peggy Carter explains it's the power of a nuclear bomb coursing through his veins. Help is needed. 
Cut to Hank Pym getting the call. He's ready to join the fight and brings his daughter Hope. Also there is Bill Foster and King T'Chaka. Oh, and the USSR has sent the Winter Soldier. They'll fly to New York fast, courtesy of Dr. Wendy Larson using Cree tech. Next stop, Coney Island. The kid doesn't look that threatening initially. T'Chaka has eyes on him as Larson checks out the space pod. Flying ants get Peter on the move into the funhouse and a laser trap. T'Chaka confronts him and Quill destroys the building. Giant Man traps him and is quickly de-embiggened. The goodies are losing and need to retreat. They start to take off, but Peter uses his powers to hold on to the jet. A blast of thunder takes out Quill and it's Thor to the rescue. Thor explains that the nine realms have fallen minus Earth. Quill is locked away and the celestial seed of Earth having been plucked. Meanwhile, young Hope is wandering the base, listening to her Walkman, coming across young Peter's prison. They bond over the loss of mothers and the joy of music. As the Avengers, future Avengers, figure out something is amiss, Hope has shrunk Peter's prison to get him out. There's a bus stop that's not too far, and Earth's mightiest heroes catch up with her. What shall they do with Peter, though? She makes the group promise to help him. Meanwhile, perhaps Ego will have to handle things himself. How can the group fight both Ego and Peter? T'Chaka suggests letting Quill and Ego fight each other. Before that, Ego reiterates his desire to take over everything and makes an army come up from the desert. Our heroes get off to a good start, but quickly Ego creates a mountain of himself. At Peter's mother's grave, Peter's reflecting and Hank approaches with sympathy. Hank and Peter talk about loss pain, anger, loneliness. The key is to let others in, to let them help. It's a win, but meanwhile, Ego's energy has gotten the seedling, and our heroes seem on the brink. Hank, Peter, and Wendy arrive, Peter taking the seedling. Peter confronts Ego, and Peter takes the power off the seedling. He is a Star-Lord. Ego is quickly destroyed. Later, the group is in Hank's home, celebrating, minus the Winter Soldier, who's been freed. Thor thanks all for the victory banquet, but Thor must leave to avenge those who were lost. Perhaps you should all suit up, team, for they are Avengers. A divergence has occurred. What's changed? And would we keep the changes? I know when it comes to this first episode here, I think that it was interesting to kick the season off the way they did. This is not the most kind of fun of the what if concepts, if you will. Um, it doesn't have kind of a natural buoyancy to it, but Nebula, who we have more recently seen as a happier, freer character in the main timeline. Um, it's interesting in this story to see her, um, again, kind of in a less happy place to see this tonal marriage of the MCU and Xandar and, and Blade Runner of sorts. Um, I mean, I'm certainly not arguing for this to become like the canonical change, but I, again, though this was not the most fun story or gleeful or even that kind of dark humor of, let's say, the zombie episode in the first season... This was a this was a fun half hour yarn of a detective story and intrigue at the top and the blonde leader has sold the people out and uh, I I dug it. I really enjoyed the noir nebula take here. Right, like as as much as I found it 
slightly predictable that it came back to Nova Prime behind the whole plot. I really saw no other way that it could go. Um, interesting that no Guardians in this first story, um, they never form. Uh, and then for the second one there, you know, you're, you're building the tale around Peter and the only guardian adjacent stuff that goes on with that is that he grabs a stuffed raccoon at Coney Island that looks exactly like rocket. So he's always meant to have a friend. Well, and it's interesting you should mention that because one of the things we discussed heading into this season was the notion that for season one, we did not know to expect an overall story. And at a certain point in the second half, you go, Oh, there's been a little, there's been a little overlap or, or I think one of the episodes, you know, it's kind of fully revealed that we are overlapping that sort of thing. And I have to confess, I did not watch these two episodes thinking that possibly we're working on some sort of guardian guardians of the galaxy something there i mean of course there's kind of the elements in both but particularly with the knowledge of you know peter quill will return in the mcu at some unannounced time and unannounced place and unannounced movie etc i'm not saying we're working towards that in these two stories but it is, it is worth keeping in mind maybe we have some direction on that in these two the absolute points across these two episodes that Nebula was always tortured by her foster father in Thanos, uh, that Peter was always abducted. Interesting places to start. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I think it was at our, our November, uh, you know, listener Google meet that we did. Uh, and I remember mentioning say, you know, pre prefacing this statement saying it's completely unfair, but, uh, for whatever the reason, I've just never been a huge fan of, uh, the character of Ronan, the accuser, the, the accuser in part, because for whatever reason, I'm just not a fan of the actor Lee pace. And there's nothing I can't say because he's terrible and stuff. He's been fine and stuff. It's just, I don't know what it is. So when it was like, Oh, Ronan has shown up here. Um, it kind of was like, ugh. And it was like, wait, no, like, whatever my weird issue is. Um, I don't know. That, there was all that going through my head. Um, I will say this. I don't think Ronan speaks, which I thought was an interesting, like, not even, I'm not saying, you know, get Lee Pace or don't get Lee Pace, but it was interesting that he doesn't, I don't think he gets any lines in this uh, in this episode. And the voices, Matt, my gosh, I, I did not think they would have Michael Douglas um, is it surprising that they couldn't lure Annette Bening to an animated Marvel project? Uh, it's it's not. But, you know, did we ever think that the first team up we'd have of Michael Douglas and Kurt Russell would occur in an animated uh, Marvel thing? Well, and, you know, it's in that second uh, second episode. It really is just a phenomenal voice cast. Because um, as you said, Michael Douglas, Kurt Russell, I'm sure people could hear as well, unquestionably, 
Haley Atwell, John Slattery back as Howard Stark, obviously Hemsworth as Thor, Lawrence Fishburne as Fishburne, dude. Yeah. I did not think Fishburne would do this. I was shocked to learn um, that it was a, a, that, or rather that it was not Annette Benning, uh, actress Carrie Tombazin, because I was like, look, they, I mean, it, it sounded very much like Annette Benning um, there. I would even say, Pete, in a, uh, in a heartfelt moment here, the actor uh, voicing T'Chaka is Antandwa Kani, who is the mm-hmm. son of uh, the late John Connie, who had uh, who, who had voiced T'Chaka. So even there, it's like authentic. You don't get any closer to the late John Connie than his his son, the actor here, acting as the father and so forth. Um, again, just a really just a great voice cast there in a in a fun team up episode as well. Uh, yeah, just, you know, the first one was a good appetizer for this banquet of a second episode. And you consider the first two at this point, you know, a, a lot of Guardians characters, a real focus early, uh, the Cree flavor with uh, Jan Rog and uh, Marvell with Wendy Lawson there. And I'd add to it too. I mean, Seth Green back as Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. I have such fond memories of Howard the Duck, like arriving on tape. I don't know what my awareness was for that, but it was like in our area, you could not go to a video store and rent. Like it was, they were all out. I remember us going even outside our town to the next town over. Do you have Howard the Duck? No, all the copies are out. Um, and then finally, as a kid, seeing it, I think we must have owned it, just watching it over and over and as a nine or 10 year old, you know, that was that was the greatest movie ever. That was high art. That was sin. That was just the beauty, <laughs> beautiousness of cinema. And I remember somewhere in adulthood saying, you know, all right, I, I, clearly it's not uh, that great. Let's go back and take another take another look at it here. It's just one of those things of realizing, oh, my goodness, this was. This was funny and provocative and scary and beautiful to look at when I was nine or ten. And now it's just it's weird that the topless duck lady in the beginning has some of those mammalian features, shall we say? And the the effects I don't think you take off the stop motion effects I don't think you take off too much credit for because it's of the time and of the place. But then there's Beverly getting ready to and the, the bed with Howard the Duck. And you just look back and go, what was I thinking as a kid? But nonetheless, <laughs> I love me some Howard the Duck, MCU Howard the Duck. And, you know, it, I'm, it's just great to see more Howard the Duck here. The team up of rock, paper, and scissors here, his his underlings uh, of Korg. It took me a second. Wait, paper? Oh, Groot. That's great. Okay, and scissors, of course, uh, Meek. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, here's one thing I would have I would have changed or I would have asked for out of the second episode. Here, we we're not going to go for any, you know, and thus we will go be the Avengers or go for a joke and be like the like. It was like, all right, team, let's go do a thing. And they don't give you the name. Now, maybe that's because it's going to come back and circle back at some point. Although I'm looking at this episode list. I don't I don't know when that would be. Um, but if Pete, the greatest sin out of these two episodes is the better one left me wanting more. I mean, then they've done their job. 
the Pegasus initiative, the project Pegasus here, and that they're out uh, in the desert. So again, shades of what's come before uh, to bring everybody together. And, you know, I have some qualms. We'll talk about, you know, how exactly they fix Bucky in a couple minutes here. But the, the, team and diving into what a 1988 Avengers roster looks like. This is what this show should be. I'll go one step further and, you know, who knows with any of this, you know, what was the Disney Marvel master plan prior to streamer slim down, you know, prior to the, the, these, the, the, the Anis Horobolus that is 2023 for Marvel and all of that. Um, but you want to tell me, Hey, we're doing, I mean, it wouldn't be called young Avengers, but we're doing, you know, earth's mightiest heroes or whatever you want to call it. You want to give us 1980s Avengers animated thing with that voice cast or with sound alikes. I mean, give me that, give me that now, please give me that 10 episode run now. I'd love that. What is on your mind when it comes to these two episodes, Pete? I did not have young Hope Van Dyne on uh, my bingo card here, but a, a nice connection, her and young Peter. It is. And I think sometimes we enter into the comic book, comic book movie space and kind of, you know, a oh, tragic backstory. Everybody has a tragic backstory, which tends to be a dead parent or a dead parent figure. Um, nonetheless, to say, Let's have a story that, you know, nonetheless treats these characters as real characters. The fact that, um, as in the original canon, Peter's mother is, you know, has passed away and will add for dramatic effect here, the, the passing of Hope's mother. And that's something that they can bond over and it can help Peter refine his humanity and all of that. It's, it's, it's a lovely writerly moment. So, you get Winter Soldier, you get Bucky, I'm a little weird. Yeah, hey, Gorbachev's lending a assassin here. But okay, in the conceit of the show, it works. And while it is nice to have one of his most prominent victims be the voice in his ear to change his mind, no, do not kill the child. Um, it's just a little too convenient rather than the reprogramming the Wakandans did and you had a Wakandan right there you could have been like but wait he still needs work we will take him back to Wakanda yeah I think that's you know that's a fair criticism it it's a fair criticism period I will add it did not it did not occur to me in the body of the episode which I think if nothing else is a credit to the the willful suspension of those 30 minutes and so forth that it just kind of felt like, well, Bucky's all the good Bucky is always supposed to come out at the other end. And, and maybe the episode leaned into that a bit too much, but it certainly did not feel egregious. And certainly the team we're left with at the end, I'm, I'm hopeful with this run that we have left that we can see their next adventure. Oh, absolutely. To Twitter we go, Pete, where we ran a poll. Again, a poll meant to encompass both episodes. Uh, and how did people rate this outing? Uh, MCU is over. Got 0%. Pretty good. 
11.1%. Liked The Adventures, got 11.1%. And loved both episodes, got 77.8%. Some replies here first from Major Noel Gardner at Noel Camille on Twitter. I enjoyed the Blade Runner Nebula episode, but 80s Avengers was fantastic with a PHP. I never knew I needed a Thor Winter Soldier team up. Love the animation styles. Can't wait for the rest. Next up, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983 says both episodes were great. Loved episode two more than one, though. Great start to the new season. Wonder if there's going to be an overall theme this year like last season. Uh, so say we all there, Andre. Lastly, from at Diana Bodenberg, it's Diana Bodenberg, who says, I liked episode one but loved episode two, uh, though my favorite quote was from episode one, I have a bandana. Uh <laughs> It's pretty cool how they get uh, the big names for the What If series. So many great actors involved. Oh, and I shall be referring to Michael Douglas as Krusty now. <laughs> That's a great nickname. Uh, and, and Pete, in a sort of social media secret scene, if you will, uh, over on our Threads account, uh, JT Adkins, JTA is me, who, who I know we both know knows things. He pointed yeah. out, fun fact, season two, episode one of What If?, the voice of Nova Prime is also the original voice of the USS Discovery's computer. Plus, you know, there's Fred Tatascuri. Hashtag it's all connected. Uh, of course, Fred Tatascuri doing the voice of Shax on Lower Decks. So uh, start your connections there. And JT wraps up by saying, great start to season two. It is. And that everybody seems to have gotten the point that episode two is greater and you wouldn't begin with that as your season premiere. So, yeah. Pete, this journey that we are on handling two or three what-if episodes this holiday season as we make our way through the nine episodes in uh, as presented to us in nine days, we could not be taking this journey without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to pick from. You place the value on the podcast uh but again the things we leave up there for free so always worth checking it out and again if you can help me this time of year beyond paying our bills as they come due uh with a nomination to that gray list uh much much appreciated thank you and pete let's keep the marvel conversation going whether it's what if now or echo in january how can people be in touch with you on social media you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on threads. You can find me on blue sky at Peter P I E T E R J K T L R K E T E L A A R 12,600 followers. Can't be wrong. Well, I'm personally on Twitter as looking back lost. Do me touch the podcast comment on fantastic.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are fantastic as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. We will be back on December 26th talking about what if episodes 203, 204, and 205. Probably I'll be putting up the Twitter poll before then, or before, certainly before the 26th. So if you want to be voting and commenting early, if you want to be commenting multiple times, I don't really know, Pete. I don't know what the plan is for this nine episodes, nine days. We're doing it in pods as we are. Uh, you can be in touch in a variety of ways to share your thoughts and to share your feelings. But I know we're back on the 26th for the next three episodes. So with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Seek the light, be the light, never strive.